This is the Touchy Subjects Podcast. My name is Erin Billings, and I am your host. In this episode, we are going to be talking about how to unwind the shame of purity culture. And I have, as a guest, Amanda Testa, a sex, love, and relationship coach and host of the Find Your Feminine Fire podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. We are back. Welcome back to the Touchy Subjects podcast. Today, I have with me Amanda Testa, and we're going to be talking about sex and purity culture. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Anyways, that's what I'm going to put as the like music for all of the creative for this episode, because, hey, I don't normally talk about this in public, so <laughs> here we are. But you know, earlier in this season, one of our guests, her name is Risa, she made a comment that made so much sense. She said, there are four main things in life that people deconstruct. Your role in society, your belief systems, money, and sex. And purity culture is very harmful and it has caused a lot of damage and it's messed up a lot of people's sex lives. So that's why I think it is so important for us to be having this conversation. You know, if there are children that are in the car, you may want to listen to this episode when they're not around, unless you want them to hear about it. I mean, it's neither here or there for me, but I just want to put that disclaimer that this is what we're talking about. And if you need to put in earphones or headphones or whatever, to make sure that we don't offend those around you, then now is your chance to do that. But Amanda, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you introduce yourself? Let everybody know who you are, what you do. Yes, well, first of all, thank you so much, Erin, for having me. I love this conversation. Uh, my name is Amanda Testa, and I am a sex and relationship coach and a somatic trauma resolution guide. So what I do is I work with women to reprogram their their old beliefs around sexuality and to really own that feminine fire, I like to call it, that spark within us that really is a huge part of our overall well-being. You know, I feel like a lot of times we kind of compartmentalize all these different aspects of our lives, but really we're all, we want to bring them together into a whole. And that's what I love to help women do so they can use all of who they are all the time, feel really good and confident in their body, have really connected relationships and deep, beautiful, satisfying sexual experiences with their partner. So that is what I love to do. I'm so glad that I'm having this conversation with you. I feel like you're the best possible person for me to have this conversation with. I would love for you to share your deconstruction story. This is something that I have every guest come on and do because I do believe that we all deconstruct. And I think it's like an ongoing process, right? <laughs> I Yeah, I, I don't think we ever stop deconstructing. Because yeah. I think it's interesting for me, like the more I know, the more I'm curious to learn and the more I really want to really take into consideration everything that I've learned. And I grew up in a very conservative Southern Baptist family. And I remember, you know, when I was younger, hearing all the things, you know, you have to wait until marriage or you're going to go to hell. And also I remember an eighth grade Sunday school class teacher telling me that if I held hands with a boy, I was going to hell. So it's been a long, you know, there was that coming along. And of course, my I'm sure my mom and talked to me about it, but I don't remember any of that. We just never really talked about it. And I just, the messaging all I heard, you know, it's bad. 
you're going to get a disease or die if you have sex. Definitely don't want to get pregnant or you'll like shame <laughs> generations of family, all the things, right? And right. so people are always shocked. Like, how, what? how did you become a sex coach after all of this? And really, it was because of my own experience. You know, I feel like once my daughter was born, I found myself really in this kind of spinning loss of identity type of situation. And I feel like birth or any of these big kind of life transitions are invitations to question like, what is happening? What is going on? And that was what I was going through. And so I just decided I was going to kind of follow the breadcrumbs to try to find my, feel myself again. Because I just remember I woke up in one morning and I was like kicking the toys out of the way and I was just so frustrated. And I got to the bathroom mirror and I looked at myself. I was like, zero connection with the person looking back at me in the mirror. And I was like, this cannot be how I'm going to live my life. And so from that point, I just started following all these breadcrumbs, one of which was around like kind of helping intimacy. And I was like, well, that certainly couldn't hurt because anyone that has ever had a baby knows that can challenge your sex life for sure. (laughs) And then I think just on top of a lot of things, so much comes up through that process. Like if there's any previous abuse, all the things that happen come up around that time. So I did a lot of work of healing and of kind of realizing it. I kind of came into this thinking, oh, this is just going to make things better in my marriage, which yes, it did. But what it really did was to help me come home to myself and really find that divine inside of me. And so part of the deconstruction process was for me, it was just realizing like all these things that I've been taught and my experience don't seem to be true. Like my lived experience of sex is a beautiful, sacred, magical portal. And I know people might be listening like, what are you talking about? I promise you, if you've not experienced that, it's, it's possible for anyone. But just, you know, in my experience of it being like such a beautiful, connecting, like powerful thing, it's like, this just doesn't seem right. And also too, just about being a woman in the world. And I don't know if you've ever read The Dance of the Dissonant Daughter by Sumon Kidd. I would, mm-hmm. I would highly recommend that one. It's really good because she talks about like her story of deconstructing and it's a great book, but she was a very religious kind of Southern Baptist, similar type of thing. But then she kind of went with the kind of not being able to find herself in the church and in God. Like everything was so patriarchal. And even when she wanted to like be involved more in the church and she couldn't be because she was a woman, like all these things. So she started doing a lot of digging as well, like going back to the roots of Christianity and before that. And like when women really did have a position of power at some, at, you know, back in the day. So needless to say, through my own experience of that and just learning more, I realized, like, I do believe that, you know, I definitely would still consider myself a Christian, but I feel like I don't necessarily need the middleman of of church, which I know might rub some people the wrong way, but that's kind of how I feel. And ever since I was little, like, really nature was my church. I love being outside. I love connecting and feeling like, oh, this is part, this is all, it's all part of it. Right. I don't feel like I need to go to be around people who don't live the values that they say they do in real life, which was another thing I felt was really hard. Like a lot of the people were not, I don't know, very judgmental. You know, the deacons were, some of them were having affairs. And here's the thing we're humans. Humans are going to human. And I think that's the thing is having compassion and forgiveness for humans being human and for letting them in and welcoming and. That is the kind of church that I wanted to be more of a part of, like acceptance and non-judgment. And like, really, I think that's what Jesus was all about, was like compassion and love and accepting everyone, which I did not 
have that lived experience in my church. So needless to say, long story short, that's kind of a, it's kind of a gist. I love that. The follow the breadcrumbs, that is a really great analogy. One that I have not heard, but I really like it because it's true when we're deconstructing, it's going to lead us down different rabbit holes. And so that's a really brilliant way of explaining that. And I think most people can relate to what you just said, which is we want community, we want church to be a place where people feel loved and accepted, not judged and criticized and shamed and guilted into doing what they want us Mm -hmm. to do. So, you know, that's beautiful. So we're going to be talking about purity culture today and the sexual things that come along with that. So I want to give a really quick little explanation of this, because for those of you that are listening that have never heard the terms purity culture, I just want to kind of set up our conversation with this information, because a lot of church folks have no idea that this is what this is. The whole idea of don't have sex before you're married, that's purity culture. My favorite, leave room for the Holy Ghost. I don't know if you've seen that meme where they're like dancing arms on the person and there's like 12 inches between you. I mean, I have been told to leave room for the Holy Ghost at like wedding receptions and stuff like that. So that's a purity culture statement. But the term purity culture is generally associated with the evangelical Christian purity movement. And that industry really launched in the 90s. Unfortunately, it's not just evangelicals that deal with purity culture. It's seen in a lot of different religions and different cultures even. For example, I know that in Jewish culture, they have the mikvah, which is where the woman, before she gets married, she has to go through this bathing ritual. She has to dress down, basically is fully naked. She goes into the water and then she comes up and she's considered clean. Cleanliness is another example. I know we're going to talk about that here in a minute. It's always centered around the women, though, which to me doesn't feel very good because, I mean, like Amanda said, there's so much patriarchy surrounding the church that it's just like, yikes, big yikes. And so that's that's the setting that I want to paint the picture of for you all. So, Amanda, I would love to ask, in your sexpert opinion, why is purity culture harmful? I love this question. And, you know, I get the intention behind it stemmed from a place of wanting to protect or uphold certain values, right? But it has a huge impact on self-worth, relationships, understanding of our sexuality, and it can be really profoundly damaging in that way, right? So number one, with self-worth, for example, purity culture often ties one's worth, particularly for women, like you said, to their sexual purity. So when virginity or chastity is equated with moral righteousness, that can lead to tons of feeling of guilt, shame, diminished self-worth for those who do not conform. And I really love how like when you break down the origin of the word virgin, it is a woman who is whole into themselves which I love reclaiming that word, just FYI, I'm going to put that in there. Another big problem around it is objectification, right? You know, because 
ironically, that culture can objectify individuals just as a mu- just as much as the opposite. And when someone is reduced to the status of just like like you say cleanliness or their virginity, then you know everything else around this person is overlooked. And another huge thing is like having women be responsible for men's sexuality or forcing them to like act out or stumble or all those things, which puts zero responsibility or oneness on the man, right? There's a lot of fear, right? And that fear can really be hard if your whole life you're told something is bad, wrong, you're going to go to hell. You can't just flip a switch and turn that back on. You know, and the lack of sex ed too, because Often with limited sex education, there's a potential for unhealthy relationships. There's potential for all kinds of things, not to mention, you know, not even understanding our own bodies or pleasure potential that we've been divinely blessed with. So all of that, it really can affect people's relationships, intimacy, because if you really are focusing on suppressing your sexuality or those types of intimate needs, people often lack the tools necessary to form really deep, intimate connections. And also, especially in long-term relationships, because a big part of making a long-term relationship successful is keeping that eroticism alive. And with a background in purity culture, again, feeling all that's bad or wrong, then it can really have a lot of challenges around like cultivating and maintaining that charge. There's, There's a lot. You know, attachment styles too. Like often there can be trouble around having that secure attachment with the partner because of the fear or the anxiety or all of those things that are woven into it. So I would say it's damaging on many levels. Yes. There's more uh, I can share there, but that's a good start. I I know that's what I'm like, well, we've got a whole slew of questions that we can get. There's, there's so much there. Something that I mentioned earlier was about the cleanliness or uncleanliness. And like I said, that's something that you can find in religions and cultures all over. It's not just owned by Christianity. Even, I believe, in the Russian church, women cannot participate in communion if they're ministrating, which I'm just like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. How is this idea of cleanliness harmful, or is it harmful? Like, I don't know, and that's why I'm asking, but to me, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. Well, it is harmful because when you think about humans, like I say, humans are going to human, we're messy, we have bodily functions. And in many religions, these natural human processes are shunned, shamed, and seen as dirty, right? We get taught our body is wrong. Its functions are wrong. We're shamed for menstruating, shamed for this natural, you know, biological function that we do as, you know, if you're a a woman who bleeds, right? This is how our species continues on in this planet, you know? So it is a big deal. I think when, when you weave the cleanliness in, it can show up a lot of times because when you are feeling that shame around your body's fluids or your partner, you're shamed around all of that can be really hard to relax and enjoy or to think our bodily fluids are bad and wrong. Of course, you're not going to want anything to do with them, which let's be honest, sex is messy too. And kind of learning to (laughs) embrace that makes the world a difference, right? (laughs) Oh, God. That's... I can't even edit that out. That's so funny. Funny, but like true, true. And it makes so much sense. And I mean, I know that from my background, it's almost that sense of, well, maybe if we just don't talk about it, we will never have to go there. And I feel like that's even more damaging with that because, I mean, think about it. A lot of 
times in especially the very high control parts of Christianity. Unless these children or teenagers are going to public school, chances are they may not ever learn about menstruation. They may never learn about hygiene and stuff like that because a lot of times it's homeschool. Yeah. And that kind of thing, it's just suppressed. It's avoided. Those conversations are just left aside because they're uncomfortable. Yeah. But it's not setting those children, those teenagers up for adult success. In fact, it's almost pulling them backwards. And so that's why it doesn't feel good to me. But thank you for validating what I was feeling (laughs) because it's true. I mean, I think it can even lead to like real problems like sexual pain, you know, vulvodynia, which is a very common thing, vaginismus. That is a real problem that a lot of times I'll see with clients who've come from like this kind of background or like just they feel broken and their body doesn't function like they want it to because of all the like internalized shame and fear. And so just to explain what that is, if anyone listening doesn't know, vaginismus is the involuntary tension or contracting of the muscles around the vagina. So in any time there's any kind of penetration that will happen. So it's unintentional. You can't control it. And then vulvodynia is just chronic unexplained pain and around the vulva area. So... I say that because like there's real physical ramifications that can happen and it can be just devastating to people when they're, you know, want to have a enjoyable, connecting, intimate, sexual, you know, relationship with the person they're with and they can't. That's right on. And I mean, we did a few episodes ago, the body keeps the score talking about how trauma affects the body. And so... Anybody that's had sexual trauma, those things are common with those victims. If they ever have another sexual encounter, they're going to have to heal those parts. The vaginismus, the vulvodynia, is that what you said that was? Mm -hmm. You know, those things can be impacted. Your body can be impacted by that assault or that trauma. Yeah. Have you ever had clients that experienced that? Oh, yeah. And actually, even like just severe shame can and fear, it can it can affect wow. it the same way because oftentimes, you know, our body doesn't always know the difference between like something that's happened and something that we imagine to have happened. So it's very complex. But yes, in both of these situations, that can be a common thing. And the good news is like with the proper treatment, you know, you can recover from that. But it can sometimes, you know, there's it's a multi-pronged approach because oftentimes you got to approach it physically, emotionally, and like psychologically there's many things that come up yeah okay well i'm learning so much here today there's a belief in many evangelical circles that women bear responsibility for men's thoughts and actions an example would be that women have to be modest so that they're not considered a stumbling block you gotta love that phrase how does this belief shape the way that women present themselves and behave in these contexts, and what damage can that cause? This is a big one. And this is one that gets me real riled up. Because <laughs> I can't stand it. By suggesting that women bear responsibility for men's thoughts and actions, and I know we're specifically a lot of times here in this podcast speaking to like heterosexual relationships, but there is like that external locus of control then. So women believe then they have to manage these expectations, manage these external perceptions, 
and versus men having to manage their own internal reactions. It's like giving them zero responsibility. You know, when in a world where women are held responsible for men's actions, then relational dynamics become skewed. This can lead to power imbalances, right? Women often feel the need to subdue their own wants and desires, right? Power is a big thing, and that can show up in relationships in numerous ways. Women not feeling like they can be true to themselves, women feeling like they can't express themselves, they don't, they lose that authenticity. They might become avoidant because they don't want to get into a relationship because they don't want to be a stumbling block or cause someone to stumble, right? The the self-esteem of having to constantly modify their behavior to cater to external expectations, huge, right? They could, women can struggle to differentiate between their authentic selves and who they present themselves to be, right? Maybe just not feeling like they have any choice in how they express themselves, which is a big deal, right? Having to cover up can lead to shame about your own body, right? That's a huge one. The shame, the body shame, feeling like they're dirty and wrong just because they have a body, like that's a big problem. There's a lot to that. I know several people that developed eating disorders because, you know, their youth pastor told them that they had hips or they made a comment that was around their hips or their chest. And I'm just like... First of all, why is it ever appropriate for a youth pastor to be recognizing that on a teenager? That's number one. Number two, like, you can't make those comments to undeveloped children without creating lasting harm. Right. I think that's something interesting to note because if you see a kid, children, they have like innate sensuality. They enjoy life. They enjoy what feels good. They intuitively to seek what brings them joy, what brings them pleasure. You know, they have a blast just exploring and being curious about the world. I love that innocence and that curiosity and that playfulness, which is normal. You know, moving your body, dancing, feeling good in your skin, that's a normal, healthy thing that we get conditioned out of us. I've heard stories of, you know, people who maybe their kids are doing dance or whatever, and they're like, well, now my daughter is dancing too sexy, so they're out of dance. Which sometimes, yes, I think the dance and some of that, that's a whole nother podcast episode. But <laughs> when they innately move their bodies in ways that are maybe as an adult would look down, they don't, they don't even have that connotation. They're just moving their bodies in ways that feel good, which is what we're meant to do. But because of history and, you know, sexuality being linked with morality and our bodies being the root of all evil, then you don't move your body. You don't live in your body. You're like in this straight, tight, constricted Thing. And when your body, when your whole life, you're like living this constricted, like I'll just have you just do this one example for a minute. Maybe just like, if you can, if it feels doable to you, if not, if it doesn't, don't, but just like take a minute and just like kind of close your body. Like someone's looking at you in a way you don't want them to. And now just imagine living 20 years in that state. I think I have lived yes. in that state for 30 something years. Right. A lot of us have which is what is the hard part. So then like trying to unwind all that is part of the deconstruction. Right. It's like unwinding all of these stories we've been told about our bodies and about our sexuality and about our pleasure so that we can like reclaim the beauty and the sacredness of it. Yeah. That is a perfect lead-in to my next question, (laughs) which is sexual urges and impulses are natural something that God created us with, I would even dare say. And we are created in God's image, according to Imago Dei, as the Bible says. 
if this is the case, then why are these urges and impulses demonized? What happens when we suppress those urges and impulses and how does it impact people in the long run? So I think what I like to view is what could it look like to emphasize love and connection and the divine nature of all human feelings? Because that's not what we've been taught. You know, you're right, because these things are inherently divine. And I think people have to discern from their own moral and spiritual beliefs how they want to how they want to hold that. But I think, you know, suppressing your urges, there's there's a lot that can come up. A lot of times psychologically, right? Because when, like I mentioned earlier, like when you're holding yourself back for however many years, you lose your ability to flow freely in life. You know, when you like constantly repress yourself, that can lead to stress and anxiety and depression, you know, and unaddressed desires can lead to all kinds of relationship problems, right? Unhappiness, feeling unfulfilled, physical repercussions, right? Like, again, I mentioned earlier, like the sexual dysfunctions and other stress-related health issues. That's a big thing. When you are suppressing your sexuality can also lead to attachment issues, like not feeling like you can make healthy connections with others. And also that even when you have so much guilt and unworthiness, that can affect your connection to in your spiritual journey as well, right? So even just, I think it's finding healthy outlets to express yourself are key. Right. Even like when you think like a little kid, like a little kid is going to go towards what feels good. And if they're running around the den, like touching themselves in ways that like maybe if they're running around, like little kids are just having a good old time. They find something that feels good. They want more of it. So maybe you find your little kid like they're running around there touching their penis and you'll be like, okay, well, go do that in the bathroom. That's okay to do that. But just go do it in your bathroom versus like, well, and honestly, in this culture, little boys get a lot more, more per- permission for that. The little girls get a lot more shame for it, right? So just if you see your kid finding something that feels good on their body encourages you, like, that's something you do in your bedroom, honey, right? That's all, like, you're not going <laughs> to teach them for a young age, like, this is okay, but there's also appropriate times and places in which to do it, because that is true. Right. There are appropriate times okay. and places in which to do things in this culture. <laughs> well, I mean, my mom said, you can't fart in public, <laughs> go to the exactly. bathroom to do that, or your bedroom, exactly. you know, <laughs> So let's put it in the same category as this is not something to shame somebody about. Everybody does it, but let's just put it in the right Right. place at the right time with the right people, I guess. Because it is true. You know, some people (laughs) are even taught like, well, if you ever touch your own body, that's taking away from your future husband's pleasure. Makes me take a breath right there. But the problem is, is we don't understand our own bodies. Then we aren't familiar with what it's capable of. We don't understand our anatomy. And partly because it's part of our overall health and wellness too. Like the more healthy we are, we need to know if things are shifting or changing. You know, like being aware of your menstrual cycle, knowing if things are changing, knowing if things are different, knowing if things feel different. You know, it's important just to know your body so you can take care of it too. You know, I think that's the other aspect as well. The more you know your own body, the less likely you're out there to try to figure it out with someone who doesn't know what they're doing either, right? I totally agree with that. And it's really interesting because as you were talking, it kind of came up into my mind. I think if purity culture wasn't in place, a lot of the abuse that takes place in relationships would not even be an issue. I know so many people that got pregnant before they were married. They were forced to get married. You know, it was a shotgun wedding situation. 
And then they enter into these relationships with people that they should not be in marriage with, whether it's physical abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, even in a marriage. I think that there's a time and place, and we don't have to marry everyone that gets us impregnated. I should probably move on from that because I might start divulging more information that I probably shouldn't on a podcast that runs to so many people. This is not a gossip podcast. Right. <laughs> well, I will say, I mean, that is true because I think when you have that fear of ostracization and all the things, like you can often get involved in situations that aren't healthy because you don't have a good understanding of how sex works or things of that nature. So in essence, unsafe relationships, unsafe practices often happen because of misinformation. So the more you understand your own body, the more you understand about sex, actually statistics show the better sex education kids get, the longer they wait to have sex. Oh, well, take that, youth pastors. That's a good bit of information. I hope that y'all start doing series on sex on your Wednesday night. Actually, I do, I want to say there are some youth pastors out there that do a really great job because whether they have homeschool families that are in attendance or they have, or they have just inner city kids, they actually take time to have these important conversations. So kudos to those of you that are actually doing that because it does make a difference, I believe. Something that I have observed both in my life and in the lives of my friends is that One of our core wounds that purity culture inflicts on us is unworthiness, which you touched on that a little bit ago. Mm -hmm. I think it stems from Christianity as a whole, but in the department of sex and relationships, I think purity culture can do major damage on our self-worth. Why do you think that is? Yes, maybe it's the original sin, like we're born flawed. There's something wrong with us to begin with. Versus we are born perfect and beautiful and amazing and full of potential, right? And of course, we have free will and that can affect how things happen in our lives. But I think when we think of ourselves as flawed, it's often stemmed from that. And especially as a woman, because, you know, are the spawn of all evil, right? (laughs) We'll say that in quotes, but that's what a lot of the times that we've learned. And when we're conditioned to be like, responsible for everyone else's actions, specifically men. You know, it does lead, can lead to toxic dynamics. And I think feeling that unworthiness, like we're at fault for everything. We're at fault for everyone's bad behavior, which we don't have, that's not our responsibility, but we take it on. We take the world on and what we do is never enough and nothing we could ever do could possibly solve all the problems of the world. I mean, that's not realistic. Not one person is meant to do that, right? But we put it on ourselves. And that's where a lot of the unworthiness stems from, too, is just like taking on the responsibility that everything's our fault when it's not. But especially in the bedroom, you know, that can easily come up. Like when it comes to sex, that's a huge thing of like feeling like, well, if I don't want to, something's wrong with me or if I'm not turned on, something's wrong with me. And there's so many ways to solve these problems. But the sad situation of can be when you don't have education, when there's not proper understanding of how things work. Of course, if you're not doing something you're enjoying, you're not going to want to do it. And, you know, part of maintaining a long-term relationship is connecting intimately and having sex. It's a big part of it. 
like being able to, I feel like it's love embodied. That's how I like to think of it. And if anyone, you know, Song of Solomon, it's a beautiful, magical thing. And it's meant to be celebrated, I think. I kind of lost my train of thought there. But what I was going, where I was going with that is like when we can view like what are, what we're capable of and really find the truth in that, that's where a lot of self-worth comes from. So a lot of my clients that I work with that might have a lot of self-esteem issues or like body issues or like feeling like they're, they can't have an orgasm or don't even know what feels good. It's like when you can kind of relearn, kind of take the narrative that you were told and maybe if you were to have heard something different, what is a story that you would have needed to hear to be able to enjoy your life now, right? What do you need to hear to make it feel okay and safe to have, you know, to have sex? What do you need to know to feel good and safe in your body, even just with yourself before you bring anyone in? And maybe your partner doesn't know what they're doing either. And maybe they need to learn, right? To be honest, like I said, you know, a lot of times it's people just don't like the sex they're having. They don't like the sex that's on offer. So everybody can improve here. Everybody can improve. There's so much you can do to like bring more joy and connection to each other. That brings me back to something you said earlier. And for the most part, we talk about things from the straight lens because, well, it just kind of is more a general approach. But a few questions back, we were talking about what happens whenever we repress our urges. And I forgot I was going to ask you this question, but... For people that are a member of the LGBTQ plus community, but they are not out of the closet, they don't even know if they are or if they have questions surrounding their sexuality. Yeah. And they suppress that urge. What happens then? Like what happens in their body? What happens in their mind? What damage does that do? I mean, it's horrific. I mean, you know out there the statistics around suicide and all the, you know, when people aren't allowed to be their authentic selves, they are in agony inside. It's not right. And that's the other thing that I believe, like, however you want to express yourself, that's who you are. And if you know people in your life, most people do love someone that is in that community. And I think that when you can lean into someone and realize, like, no one's so different than you, right? I think it's so easy to compartmentalize and think, that's a big, that's a big one for me, because I, you know, are you familiar with Matthias Roberts? Mm-hmm. So he has a great podcast called Creology, and he, you know, talks a lot about this. He's much better, you know, able to talk about this than I am because he is a queer man who has navigated all this through finding his place in the church. And, you know, I think there, there's a lot of damage that it can cause because of feeling ashamed, feeling ostracized from the people that supposedly love you like that's the most heartbreaking thing in the world and so all that to say it's like i think we just need to be more loving to everyone and however they want to express themselves it's not hurting anyone right they just want to be who they are that's my belief let people be who they are i agree yeah so you've worked with many clients over the years helping them find their feminine fire I say that because Amanda is the host of the Find Your Feminine Fire podcast, which you should definitely go listen to. Have you worked with a client to release the conditioning that comes from purity culture? And if so, what did you do to help them move forward? Yes. So this is actually more common than you would think. And one of the huge ways that it comes across is crippling shame that like has manifested into sexual dysfunction of some sort. And again, the beautiful thing is, is there's lots that can be done. And that's the great thing. Like the first thing is just acknowledging, right? Acknowledging the harms or distortions that 
purity culture might have inflicted. Because that's a big part of it is being able to talk about it and being able to know you're not alone. And it's not the healthy, it's not that healthy to be, to have that kind of indoctrination. So I think even just that can have a little bit of a, it's not me, it's not just me. And educating yourself, right? That's the second thing is really learning about the things you didn't learn. You know, learning about healthy sexuality, learning about your body, learning your anatomy, knowing what it's capable of. That's another big step. And part of it is, is kind of like working with my client to, you know, as they are on this path, what are the things that are coming up, right? Where are the parts of you that are still really struggling and how can we see what they need? How can we give the body time to unwind stuck stress patterns, you know, do the somatic trauma resolution that's needed to move through. And the beautiful thing is, is that at our core, we have that divine original essence, that blueprint of health that we all have. Like no matter what, that's still within us. So no matter what we've been through, no matter what a client has been through, we have the ability to come back to that original, beautiful blueprint. And so my job is to just to remind people of that and to kind of, so through life, we have all the imprints of trauma and stress and beliefs and all the things that are put on us, but we like piece by piece pull those off. And so that the blueprint can come back online, the blueprint of worthiness, the blueprint of self-trust, the blueprint of knowing what is safe to move towards and what you should put healthy distance from, right? Knowing how to truly express yourself and who you are, knowing how to navigate interpersonal relationships and knowing how to feel confident in your body and to express your sensuality and sexuality in a way that feels good to you. And also how that, you know, comes into play in the holes because we are a part of a whole here. And so we can only do so much when we are just working on ourselves. But the key is, is that the more we are able to heal ourselves, that it also heals those around us. It heals the relationships with other people, right? There's so much good that can come from it. And so that's kind of how the formula goes. But typically, it's like unwinding the shame and really kind of being with the body so it can move through all those things. It's so amazing to me every time I work with a client and just watch that blueprint come back online because it's, it is like the divine magic that is happening, right? It's beautiful. And everyone has that ability. So I just like to remind them of that. That's what I feel like. I'm like giving them this remembrance to something that they have just forgotten. I love that. And your work is very much needed, especially in this particular sect of humanity. Well, I have loved every minute of this conversation. I'm so thankful for you and for you being here with us. How can our listeners find you? Yes, yeah, so you can find me at amandatesta.com. And as Aaron says, I have a podcast called Find Your Feminine Fire where I talk a lot about sex and relationships and women's health. And also you can find me on social media at Amanda Testa. You can find me amandatesta.com slash the goods is all the places you can find me if you want to go there. Amandatesta.com slash the goods. So but yes, and I really appreciate you having me here, Aaron. Thank you for these conversations. I know they're not always easy. And so even too, for all those listening out there, just like maybe take a breath or two and just... Feel your, feel your body stable in its chair and just know that it's okay to talk about these things. Even if it feels hard, it's important and we can do it. I love it. Thank you so much. And to everybody out there listening, thank you for being here. We will catch you in the next episode.
Thank you for listening to the Touchy Subjects podcast. If you would like more information about what we do and who we are and how you can get involved, check out our website, www.letstalktouchysubjects.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Let's Talk Touchy Subjects. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode.